Thank you for listening to the Giving Light Podcast. We are a family church and world outreach center. Our heart is to empower you to walk in true freedom and equip you to impact your world. Please visit our website at givinglight.org to learn more about us and our many resources, including original music by Brave Music, e-courses for leaders, tools for raising powerful kids, and more. If you would like to support Giving Light financially, visit our Give Online page to choose the best giving method for you. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy this message. Today I'm going to talk about our response to the resurrection. Because the fact is, we've heard it today, that the resurrection is what sets us apart. See, people uh, in every religion all around the world believe that Jesus existed, believe that he was even a prophet, and they know that he died. He was crucified and died. But what sets us apart is the resurrection. We are serving a living God. We are serving a God who is live on the inside of us. The power of the resurrection to transform our lives. This isn't just some religious tradition. This is serving a living Jesus that's sitting on the right hand of the Father praying for us day and night. Do you realize that Jesus fulfilled over four dozen messianic prophecies? Now, when you look at that according to mathematical science, the chance of one person filling all four dozen messianic prophecies in just 33 years of life is virtually impossible. It is one to 11 trillion chance that anyone could ever do that. 11 trillion. That's like if you take 60 seconds in a minute. It would take 352,000 years to come up with 11 trillion seconds. Do you realize the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is something man could not do? that it was only orchestrated by heaven for me and for you. Some skeptics say, oh, we acknowledge this, but what Jesus did is he studied the scriptures and he manipulated his life to fulfill those messianic prophecies. But let me ask you a question. Could anyone orchestrate the place or the circumstances of their birth? Could anyone orchestrate being dead and then raising themselves from the dead? We must recognize that Jesus was not just 100% man, 100% sinless man, but he was 100% God. It is the resurrection that empowered the disciples to launch the church. You know, today living, there's almost 1.9 billion believers globally. Now you take that through generations. You take that through years. Can you imagine how many are in heaven? Can you imagine how many worshipers there are of heaven? Think about that. In Acts 4, 33, it says, with great power, the apostle continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. 
What did they testify of? They testified of the resurrection. And because of that, there was a grace or an ability or an empowerment upon them to advance the church upon the earth. The resurrection. Now you think about this. These same apostles, when Jesus died on the cross, they didn't go out and just start preaching. No, they were in fear. In fact, they denied Christ. And now when Jesus had died, they are running in fear from the Jews trying to save their lives. If they kill Jesus, they're going to kill us. And so they were just smitten with fear. So how did these fear-based individuals end up launching the church? There had to be a key that brought that transformation. See, they went from fearful followers to those willing to give their lives for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Why? Because of the resurrection. They saw Jesus, and what was prophesied about Jesus, he is alive. A boldness and a courage rose inside of them. They were in the upper room. They got baptized in the Holy Spirit. They were empowered by the Spirit. Now they went out preaching. They no longer were living in fear. Think about it. They... They were willing to give their lives. Many of them were martyred. They left their families to preach the gospel. Get a load of that. Leaving their wives and their children to go preach the gospel. Why? Because of the resurrected Christ. They moved from skeptics, disappointed followers, hurting, grieving friends of Jesus. What? To confident, radical worships, worshipers giving their whole lives to the spread of the gospel for the risen Christ. Now, we know there was Saul of Tarsus, and we know he was out to kill those that were following Jesus. He hated Christianity. He wanted to wipe out this sect from the earth. He hated believers. But on the road to Damascus, guess what? He had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And he heard the resurrected Jesus say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And at that moment, he had an encounter, not with a religion, but with the person of Jesus Christ that was dead and now lives. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, 8, he said, he was seen of me also. He testified that he saw the resurrected Jesus. Now, what would take Saul from being a murderer of Christians to one who writes in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three? 23? Listen, I have worked much harder been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Who would do this? Someone who saw the resurrected Christ. Someone who had an encounter with the resurrected Christ. You take James. He was the half-brother of Jesus. And I'm sure he loved his brother Jesus. 
But you know, in Jesus' 33 years of life, he did not believe that he was the Messiah. But after the resurrection, he began to pastor a local church and later became a martyr being stoned by the Jews. He knew and loved Jesus for all the years of his life. But when he saw the resurrected Jesus, he knew this is the Messiah. And he gave his life to serve him. Think about it. What was this radical transformation? This radical transformation was the resurrection. Now, listen to this for us. Romans 6, 8, and 11. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this. How do we know that since we died with Christ, we will also live with him? What makes us secure in that? It's because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. And then he says to us, so you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin. This is saying, I have power over sin. This is saying you have power over sin. And you are alive to God through Christ Jesus. Because of the resurrection, I now have an intimate relationship with my Father God. Anything that separated me from my Creator is just torn down, and now I can live and breathe and feel the Father's heart beating on the inside of me because I have that relationship with my Father. My natural father died when I was really young, 11 years old, and I really don't remember him. But I am living for a heavenly father. And my heartbeat is to say, God, when I get to heaven, I just want to hear, Melody, you did good. That actually is the fear of the Lord. Because I don't want to do anything that hurts his heart. I don't want to do anything or have any thought or any wicked way in me that would hurt the heart of my father. Because of Jesus, I have a heavenly father. I have Jesus who is interceding for me. And because of who he is, I get to model who he is through my life on this earth. And because of the resurrected Jesus, I have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of me, empowering me not to live for myself, but live for the advancement of the kingdom. So what is our response? That's the Easter part of this message. Now I'm going to share what I came to share. What is our response to the resurrection? Number one, it's my personal heart positioning with my father. And number two, it's my responsibility as a, as a Christian, as a believer to my world. So it's me dealing with my heart and then taking the responsibility to touch my world because I'm serving a resurrected Jesus. 
This scripture has been on my heart, and Katie read it before the worship. But this scripture has been on my heart for strongly for about a year and a half. And I thought it was so strong inside of me because of what he spoke me to release my voice, my message to my world, to launch a stop devaluation movement so that the church would rise up and value all of humanity, that we would tear down judgment and prejudice and bias and stereotypes, pull down all those fleshly evil thoughts and ways and criticism and gossip and all that junk, that we would tear those things down in our lives so we could love the world like Jesus loved the world? Oh, my gosh. It's not just loving our neighbor as ourself. Not at all. There's a higher love. And that's like loving people like Jesus loved them. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Holy Spirit. We can't do this without you. But now in recent days with this global crisis, we're hearing this scripture Everywhere we turn, we hear this scripture. And it's 2 Chronicles 7, 14. And I just really feel the weight as a leader, as a pastor in this house to share this to our family. Because I believe what we do with this moment in time what we do with this scripture in our lives personally, not telling everybody else, but dealing it with ourselves. What we do with this will set the course of our future. To build the kingdom or just exist until we die. If my people who are called by my name, that's you and me, will humble themselves... The first thing is we got to humble ourselves. Guess what? We're not all that. Without him, we can do nothing. And humility says, but through him, I can do anything. But I humble myself. What does it mean? It means to bend a knee. It means to lower ourselves in subjection. Actually, Pastor Joel's first sermon he ever preached was... When you get saved, it's no longer about you. It's about him. It's about Jesus. That's humility. When I give my life to Jesus, it's not about melody anymore. It's about lowering myself into subjection to hear his voice, to obey him, to follow him. He says, I have chosen you to know my will, to see the righteous one, and to hear the words from his mouth. That's what we were chosen for. We hear to obey. We hear to respond. It also means to subdue. What am I subduing? I'm subduing myself. I begin to look at my life and say, where have I exalted myself and make a choice to bring myself low? That's humility. On Easter Sunday, I don't want to read this whole chapter because it's very heavy. And so I encourage you to read James chapter 4. And it's very heavy and it deals with sin. It deals with a lot of things. A lot of things that divide us and how we judge others. But there's four statements 
in James 4 that all deal with how we humble ourselves. It says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. What does the subdued part of humility look like? Drawing near to him. Running to the author and the finisher of our faith. Draw near to him, and he will draw near to us. God resists the proud. Pride is all when it's about me. And when it's all about me, he resists that. Because it's contrary to his nature. God resists the proud, but he gives grace. He gives ability. He gives empowerment to the humble. Submit yourselves to God in the sight of the Lord. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. And a lot of times, we're trying to resist something, resist an addiction or an attitude or a mindset. And, you know, we get upset at ourselves when we function in ways that are just not ungodly. And then we beat ourselves up. And then we try to change ourselves. We don't have the power to change ourselves. How do we do it? We submit to God. And when we submit to God, what happens? His grace comes upon us. And then we have the ability to resist the enemy. Guess what? At this moment in time, there's a grace that's released across the body of Christ. What? To submit ourselves to the Lordship of Christ. And he's transforming us. He's changing us. He's moving in us. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. In the midst of all the negative things of James 4, It keeps bringing us back to humility. See, humility draws us to our Father's heart. It draws us to how he thinks, how he does things. What are his attitudes? So we humble ourselves. We pray. Pray means to intercede. Oh, it's not just praying for ourselves just for the ones we love, but it's interceding for the nations of the earth, interceding for our nation, interceding for our community, interceding for those that are lost and hurting, those that are suffering, those that are grieving from the loss of life, interceding. It means to make supplication. We don't do this out of fear. Oh, we want this pandemic to go, so we're going to entreat the Lord. No, we're going to intercede for our world, not out of fear of what is taking place, but out of the fear of the Lord. And what is the fear of the Lord is I don't want to do anything that's going to hurt my father's heart. And right now, I have a a moment in time, a window of opportunity to humble myself and pray in such a way that I take my positioning, not just for my relationship with God, but my responsibility to my world. You still with me? You didn't turn it off? (laughs) Humble ourselves, pray, and seek my face. Pastor Joel's going to like this. Seek means search out 
especially through worship or prayer. Do you realize every time we worship, it's not to please the worshipers. It's to please the one we worship. We don't perform out of the fear of man. No, we don't perform out of pleasing men. We worship our God fully, completely, radically. That's how we seek his face. It also means desire, ask, and inquire of him. God, what are you calling me to do? I ask of the Lord. How should I respond in this situation? Who do you want me to pray for today? Who should I reach out to today? So we humble ourselves. We pray. We seek his face. And when we do that and we cry out in that place, our next step is to turn. Now our action is to return, which means going back to that starting point. I really began to think about this a lot. You know, I think I'm radical. I think I'm passionate, you know. Uh, you know, I think those things. But I began to process in these last couple weeks, turning, going back to my first love. And I'll tell you, I didn't know the word. I knew nothing. But I had an encounter with the living God who took me, a young 21-year-old girl, so driven by fear. Nobody knew it on the outside. But I was tormented on the inside. I hit rock bottom so low that instead of leaning on myself, which was the way I lived, I ran into my bed and I said, God, if you exist, do something in my life. At that moment, he literally delivered me from alcohol. In a moment, I was addicted to alcohol. I had addictive behaviors. And in a moment, I was delivered. I mean, I got so radical. There was a love I found that I didn't even understand, but something happened on the inside of me. I began to throw out all my Coors beer cans. I began to throw out anything that dealt with alcohol. And I'd go up to people, and I didn't even know what I was doing, but I was so compelled for other people to experience what I had. And I didn't even know how to do it, and I didn't even know truly what I had. But I did have an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And I began to think, okay, do I love as much as I did then? I talk about valuing people all the time. Do I value people as much as I did then? And I began to examine myself. Because it said, not just humility, not just praying, not just seeking, but us making a decision to turn, to convert, to restore. Guess what? Revival isn't for the world. Revival is for the church. Because it means to come alive again. That means we were alive. Now we need to be resurrected because the resurrected Jesus lives on the inside of us. Our love needs to be resurrected. Our vision, our purpose, our passion, our heart for our world needs to be resurrected. 
We talk about the greatest harvest the earth has ever seen. Well, there's going to need to be people, and pastors alone can't do this. Churches alone can't do this. It's going to take every believer in the body of Christ to be willing to store the harvest. It's going to take our business people. It's going to take our governmental leaders. It's going to take our educational leaders who know Jesus to take responsibility to store the harvest. We got to turn. We need personal revival. And Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I cry out for each one in the sound of my voice. And I ask, oh God, that in the midst of our humility, in the midst of our, uh, our praying and our seeking, that we turn to you in such a way that we experience our own personal revivals. And guess what? When I start having a personal revival, I will turn from my wicked ways. You know, this scripture isn't saying, you heathens out there, turn from your wicked ways. All you people that are doing this or that or in this lifestyle or that lifestyle, you got to change. No, he's saying the church has got to change. What is the turning point in this world is the church. What are we doing as the church? Turning from our wicked ways. I, I talk a lot about this in my leadership trainings, but I talk about self-awareness. And, and it's really coming to a place where we honestly assess ourselves. And I don't know about you, but uh, Stephen and I have been taking communion just every day, praying and seeking his face and taking communion every day. But you know, in 1 Corinthians, the scripture is about communion. In verse 28, it says, when we're taking communion, it's not just say, may the blood be there to deliver me, and we want that. He's saying, when I'm taking and remembering the blood and the body of Christ, examine yourself. And then in verse 31, it says, if we judge ourselves, we will not be judged. So he's telling us as believers This is our opportunity to examine our thoughts, examine our ways, examine how much we really love our resurrected Jesus that we are worshiping and celebrating today. If we're just putting in our token duty religiously, then we need to examine ourselves and really see where we're at. In Psalms 139, verses 23 and 24, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Man, I don't even know my heart. I need God to reveal to me my heart. We might think we're doing really good, because I'm not as bad as I used to be, right? (laughs) But know my heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. Try me. Let there be situations in my life that cause me to see the condition of my heart. Oh, we can spend our lives blaming everybody else and criticizing our world and criticizing the relationships in our life and and just focusing on what everybody else is doing wrong. Or we can say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. Some of the difficult seasons are to try our heart, 
Man, I want to pass these tests. Try me and know my heart and my thoughts and see if there is any wicked way in me. Not if there's any wicked way in Josh, or not if there's any wicked way. See, we're on all parts of the sanctuary. Not any wicked way in destiny. Oh, expose the wicked ways in my husband, you know, so he straightens up. You know, it's not saying that. Expose in me, in my heart, if there be any wicked way in me. And that's not for our condemnation. It is to lead me in the way everlasting. See, when our world shakes, we see the condition of our hearts. See if there's any wicked way in me, God. What idol do I have before me? What do I love more than I love Jesus? Man, I love my husband, but I cannot love him more than Jesus. I love my children and my grandchildren, but I cannot love them more than Jesus. I love my church. I love the people in my life. In fact, I have chosen to love people that are completely different than me, that disagree with me, that are living lifestyles that I don't want to walk in. But I cannot love anyone or anything. I can't even love my purpose. I can't love my passion. I cannot love my calling more than I love him. Where do I put myself on the throne? Our marriages would be heaven on earth if we didn't put ourselves on the throne. Our relationships would, in the world would not be trying to conform them to look like us. Putting ourselves on the throne, but drawing them to Jesus. Where have I walked in ways that are contrary to his word, his thoughts, his deeds? What would Jesus do, right? Where do I try to remove the speck out of somebody else's when I got this big plank coming out of my eye? It's so easy for me to see that speck in your eye when I've got this big plank in my own eye that I can't see. That's why we go back to this scripture in Psalms 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Because I need to deal with the plank that's in my eye so I can see through his eyes. That was good. Make a quote out of that, somebody. Okay? <laughs> what is in my life that would separate me from his presence? See, when I really examine myself and I judge myself, then I won't be judged because I'm dealing with those things on the inside of me and I'm repenting and I'm changing the way I'm thinking. I'm going in this direction and I choose to turn, return to that original place in him. And as we cry out, just like David cried out when his sin was exposed, create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit in me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. See, when I returned to him, I returned to the purity of my first love.
So when we humble ourselves, we pray, we seek his face, we turn from our wicked ways, then, God says, then, after you, the church, do these things, then I will hear from heaven and forgive your sin. Thank you, Jesus. It takes a moment in time to change the way we think. We don't have to agonize or beat ourselves up or condemn ourselves. No, we say, God, I acknowledge this now. I repent. Created me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a right spirit in me. Don't cast me away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. At that moment, guess what? We are forgiven. Revival at that moment is a seed on the inside of me that I can feed and feed and feed and feed and feed until it's such a fire on the inside of me that I become contagious in my world. Right now, this very moment, the presence and the power of God can invade your life and your home right now. When we repent, it tears down every single wall that has separated us and kept us from levels of access to heaven. As we repent, we will hear clearer. We will see clearer. Our hearts will be more receptive. will hear and obey. And all we have to do is obey. It doesn't matter what platform. We could have the biggest platform in the world, but if we're not using it in the purity and the humility, then we'll use the platform for our throne, not use the platform to draw people to him. But he says, I'm going to heal your sin in a moment because the blood has already been shed. Jesus has already resurrected and put his blood on the mercy seat. So when the father looks at us, he sees us through the blood of Jesus Christ. So all we have to do is turn. He will forgive our sin and he will heal our land. See, the healing of our land is not the end goal. The healing of our land isn't just to get rid of a virus. The healing of our land isn't just so we can go back to work. The healing of our land, and you know, I believe that's a part of it, and we are praying for that. We definitely are. Because every sickness, disease, anything that is destructive does not come from God. And so we war against the enemy of mankind. But that's not the end goal. The end goal is to heal our land. It's to touch nations. I believe this is the beginning of the greatest move of God on planet Earth. Because when we take this moment as the church and do everything that I've talked about today and we stay connected to the heart of our Father, we will be positioned to steward that greatest move. See, he's working in us now so he can work through us. 
He's preparing, and it's not just us. He's preparing the hearts of the lost. He's touching those that are hurting and grieving and fearful. He's moving in the world. He is drawing people. Remember my story. It was there I was. I hit rock bottom. And I didn't believe in God, or at least I said I didn't. But guess what? When I hit rock bottom, I didn't know where else to go. So if you exist, God, do something in my life. I believe he's moving around the globe by his spirit. He's touching the broken. He's drawing them. This is the beginning of not just new vision, but greater vision, greater passion, greater purpose, greater power. It is the beginning of the glory of God covering the earth, not just filling a church service, even though we had it today and we want it. But it's the glory of the Lord covering the earth as the waters cover the sea. Right now, God is preparing the church for us to experience a greater glory. That doesn't always feel wonderful. I remember, I don't know how many years ago it was, and the power of God came on me. I couldn't function. I couldn't take out my contacts. Uh, I, Stephen had to help me go to the bathroom. The waves of glory were just flooding over me. And you think, oh, isn't that beautiful? No, it's like, please, God, let it stop so I can go to sleep. And this went on for like two days. It was intense. It wasn't even fun for my flesh. But I kept saying, okay, God, whatever you want to do, do it in me. And my son, I don't know how old Joel was then. I don't know, 15, 16, 17, whatever it was. And, and uh, he was going, I want to see if this is really God. And I am a little bit of a perfectionist to how I keep my house. And so there I am just sitting in the glory on the sofa. In, it was our big kitchen, living, dining room. And I was sitting on the sofa. And Joel's sitting there in the kitchen, taking a toenail clippers and clipping his toenails as they're flying through the air. He was testing to see if I was really in the glory. And I just looked at him and said, I love you, Joel. And he goes, this is God. This is God. Because <laughs> he know mama would not put up with that. And uh, I mean, the glory of the Lord. Abandoning ourselves, when we just want to go on with life. We just want to get our tasks done. But I tell you, for a couple days, I couldn't do anything. I believe this is the beginning of the greatest healing, miracles, and deliverances. So, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I just pray for each one. And Lord, we humble ourselves, we pray, we seek your face, and we choose to turn from our wicked ways. And Lord God, in the midst of that, I just thank you that you are positioning us for the most powerful move of God on the planet. And we say, God, here am I, send me. Here am I, use me. Here am I, prepare me in this season so I can be used for your glory in Jesus' name. Now, can we take communion?
If you, uh, if you haven't prepared, we're going to be receiving communion this morning. I want to give you an opportunity to go get that. I have a few scriptures that I would like to read. Melody was talking about our response to the resurrection. I want to talk about God the Father's response to the resurrection. We see in Hebrews chapter 4 at the, at the uh, end of the chapter, it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us, let us hold fast the profession or the confession. He says, For we have not received a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What changed between the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ from what was before and what happened afterwards. One of the things that happened was in the Old Testament, there was a temple that everybody had to go to. There was a, a court of the Gentiles, there was a court of the women's, there was a court of the men that they could go into. And then there was the place where the only the priest could go into, where there was the uh, lamp stand, there was the, the showbread. And then there was the Holy of Holies that only the high priest could go into. And he had to go into it with blood. And inside there was, a, was the Ark of the Covenant. And the, he only went in there once a year at the Day of Atonement. But at the death of Jesus Christ, there was something that happened. The, the, uh, the curtain that divided the Holy of Holies from the outside was ripped in half from top to bottom. And so there was a way to where man was kept out, but now there was a way for man to come to God, and actually God was coming to man. What else happened? Well, God made a way for us. He, he, uh, he made a way through the blood. But you know what? The Scripture says, the scripture says that, uh, that not only that, but Satan was defeated. In reality, we had to be redeemed by the blood because we, through Adam, had submitted ourselves to, uh, we, had re, we had rebelled against God. And now God had made a way for us to come directly to him. But what happened? What happened with God? With God, The Scripture says that He was delivered up for our offense, but He was raised for our justification. In other words, when Jesus was on the cross, that was for our sin. But on the day of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that was for our justification. What does that mean? That means, uh, a simple way would be to put it, just as if I had never sinned. 
In other words, we've gone back to the place where Adam and Eve were able to communicate with God without fear, without rejection, without any kind of guilt or inferiority. The reality is, is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are justified in his sight. We are saved in his sight. We can come boldly before the throne of grace. So let's at this moment uh, receive, uh, if, you have your, uh, if you have your bread, then I want you to take it. And remember this, Jesus said, when you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you show the Lord's death until he come. So it was the death that purchased it for us, but it was the resurrection that God declared their mind. There's another scripture that says, that says this, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. When Jesus was on earth, Jesus said, I'm the son of man. But after the resurrection, God says, they're mine. They're all mine. So, Father, we just thank you for the, for the body of Christ that was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we're healed. So we celebrate the broken body of Christ. Father, we also thank you, Lord God, for the cup. Jesus said, this is my blood of the new covenant. The new covenant to where we didn't have to rely upon the temple. We didn't have to rely upon the Old Testament priest. Now we have a new high priest, and his name is Jesus. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's ever living to make intercession for us. And he shed his own blood for us. Not only that we could be forgiven of sin, but so that we could be totally cleansed. So that we could come boldly into the throne room of grace. So if you, if you think you have a problem with praying, then remember the blood because the blood made the way for us to, to come boldly before his throne. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the precious cup, the blood of Jesus, Lord God, that not only forgives us, but cleanses us, that empowers us. Your word says that we are drawn near to you by the blood of Christ. So we celebrate it. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. We also need to remember this, that we're not to forget his benefits. He forgives all of our iniquities and he heals all of our diseases. So because of the resurrection, let's just thank God for our forgiveness. Let's thank God because we're children of God Let's thank God that we can receive healing in our bodies in Jesus' name.